We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. The independence case is a powerful one. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, looking back at the results of the recent local elections, I'm delighted to be enjoyed by a panel of guests, a panel of guests who all have links to Wales. So it'll be particularly interesting looking at the Welsh results. And my guests include Ellie Anderson, who is an organiser for Labour to Win, campaign coordinator for Labour for Europe, and an ambassador for the Holocaust UK charity. Welcome back to the podcast, Ellie. Hi, nice to be here. It's great to have you back on. Uh, Also joined by Jasnit Samre, the Deputy Director of Centre Think Tank. Welcome back to the podcast, Jazz. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) That was very enthusiastic. And finally, last but not least, uh, delighted to welcome back on Torin Wilkins, the Director of Centre. Welcome back to the podcast, Torin. It's great to be back. <laughs> it's great to have you back. Now, the first question that I would like to ask is, what are all our general impressions of the local elections? What do we see as the general narrative of the local elections, the story that we think people are going to take away from this set of elections? Um, Torin, if you could start. Um, I mean... Press-wise, it's generally been that the uh, the Tories had not the best night. Um, they lost a lot of councillors. The Lib Dems did well, and and I think Labour did did generally fairly well. So I mean, it's 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 a good night for sort of opposition parties, as I think the the results kind of show. Um, I think there's and this is was discussed on the the live stream we did, but. There's going to be a lot afterwards of trying to spin this either way that, you know, the Tories could have done worse. And, uh, you know, and obviously there was those those big seat projections where it sounded as if they were supposedly going to lose 800 seats, you know, and half their council or whatever. And, and, you know, a lot of that at the end of the day was was trying to spin it in a way that really it, it wasn't you know, some big defeat for the Tories. It was a, a big defeat for the Tories. I mean, here in Wales, again, I mean, the, the, the Tories literally lost almost half their seat. So, I mean, it, it wasn't exactly a, a great night for them. Um, and at the same time, you know, as, as much as Labour did well, I think obviously the, the bigger winners of the election night ended up being the Lib Dems. Um, in, in some cases, um, it was kind of a surprise because... Um, I think as ever, you know, polling-wise, they weren't predicted to do as as well as as they have done. So, you know, it's it's sort of been a mixed election night. I think the story that'll come out of it of Labour doing well, um, there's also, you know, the Greens and the Lib Dems who have, have done well as well. So it seems to have been progressive parties there. Mm-hmm. Ellie, if I could turn to you, what, what do you see as the story that you think people will take from this set of local elections? I think it is a really interesting question. Um, I think there'll be a few stories. Uh, I think it shows that Labour's come back. Um, so we've see, we saw it in Barnet. Uh, we also saw it in parts of Wales. Um, as Torren was saying at home, there is now no council in Wales that is controlled by Conservatives. 
Um, and it, it's showing Labour's comeback. It's showing that people can trust us once again. Um, it's showing that, you know, our issues that we had in 2019, 2017, they're no longer there. Um, and it's showing that people are coming home to Labour. Um, we're not there yet. There's still a lot of work. To, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, long COVID cough. Um, <laughs> It's showing that, uh, that, yeah, people are coming home. People are trusting us once again. We're not there yet. We've still got a lot of work to do. We saw that, especially in places like Hartlepool. Um, but we're there and we're knocking on the door. You know, we're holding councils that we haven't, oh, we haven't held in years. Um, you know, we're holding Westminster. We're holding Wandsworth. You know, that is Tory central. And it, yeah, it's showing that Labour is is winning, and it's showing that progressive politics is back in mainstream politic political discourse once again. Mm. Um, I was quite surprised at what the media was saying. So I was watching the ITV News at ten, uh, just because I'd had a little bit of too much of the BBC throughout the day. Um, so I was watching ITV at 10 p.m. on election night, and the first story they ran with was um, the investigation with Kia. It was only their third story that focused on the local elections. Um, and again, the BBC. So on their main um, on their main page for election day, there was nothing to do with Wales. If you wanted to view well, uh, what was happening in Wales, you had to click on the England link mm. um, and sort of see it that way. So... I'm quite surprised at the coverage, um, but but yeah, it's positive, and I feel like we've made a lot of positive steps um, mm. in the last few days. Mm, absolutely, um, Jazz. What are your feelings in terms of the the broad narrative that will come out of this set of elections? Um, I think yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. I think that progressive parties have done well. I think. The Tories, I think the main story that's come out obviously is that the Tories have done really badly. We've had, you know, pretty much every party went up in the poll or up in the vote rather than, you know, over the Tories. But I think the main takeaway for me is this story like of localism, right? Which I've talked about this a lot, kind of the local, the locality, I think, in this set of elections compared to past elections. I think, especially with Partygate and kind of like the sleaze of Westminster at the moment, we're seeing this real disconnect between kind of local people and national politics. So I think the rise in the progressive parties is not necessarily uh, not necessarily indicative that they are good or good mm. at a Westminster level. I think it's more that um, local parties are doing very, very well at canvassing at the moment. They're doing very well at polling people at the moment. They're doing very well on the doorstep at the moment. So I think the main takeaway is kind of this change or this shift in the way that people vote and they're going from a more national level to more local level. And I think the reason that so many councils did switch was this question of kind of, you know, who stands up for us? Is it, mm. you know, our local representatives or is it our national representatives? And I think we see this shift away from the Tories because I think, especially because they're a party in government at the moment, often one thing that happens is candidates feel like they need to support the government no matter what. And obviously in the state the government are in, it's getting very, very hard to defend them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think part of it, again, is due to the government failure, but I think more widely we're getting a shift in politics. For example, like in Wales, we've had, I think, two councils now are gender balanced. Again, we've seen lots of councils go into, like, you know, overall no control or, you know, a progressive party held, holding it. And that's the case in England as well. So I think it's quite interesting as well, kind of this 
this shift of like more collaborative politics that's happening. Mm. So I think if that's my interesting takeaway from this set of elections. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, Wales has already um, come up a couple of times and I think it would be interesting to just look at the um, the Welsh results for a moment. The Conservatives lost control of their only council in Wales, Monmouthshire, and saw a, a pretty much a, a, a massacre um, in Wales in terms of council seats and vote and Labour and Plaid saw um, a stark increase. What do you think that this says about the state of Welsh politics and how much can we read into it as a, a reflection of um, the state of Welsh politics. Ellie, if you could start. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think what this has shown, and uh, last year in the Senate elections, we saw it as well, um, that there's a lot of trust in Welsh Labour. Welsh Labour are cutting through. We're doing what the people want us to do. And we're achieving what what our electorate want us to do. Um, you know, we've we've gained councils in Bridgend and Blaenau Gwent. Um, we're doing well and we're returning good results. Um, and I think that's it's reflective of Mark's leadership. It's reflective of the fact that we're listening to voters. Um, it's also reflective of the fact that a lot of people, I think, as Jazz has said, um, a lot of people feel really disconnected with Westminster. Um, when you go on the doorstep, they either don't want to know politics or um you know, they're really angry about what's happening with Boris and what he's doing in terms of just breaking all of the rules and laws that he set out. Like Partygate is a very, is a massive factor at the moment mm. in the electorate psyche. Um, yeah, and I think that we saw the response with that in Wales that, you know, I had councillors in my local ward who um, refused to put Conservative Party on their posters. Mm. Um, I had people who, like Conservative candidates, who would not say that they were a part of the Conservative Party. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just this massive disconnect with Westminster, and it's also wanting to get away from Boris and his lies. Mm, absolutely. Um, I mean, Jazz, what, what do you think this set of elections says about the current state of politics in Wales? I think it sort of shows us, again, like, if you select from Westminster, as Ellie has said, but I also think even more than that, I think we sort of see this more local, like, local level of politics happening. I mean, I've talked about this a lot, but kind of, I think Wales, especially because it has an extra layer. So obviously instead of like England, which has, you know, Westminster and local councils, we have here Westminster Senate and then local councils. So I think we're sort of, I think it creates broader questions about kind of devolution as well. So I think this separate layer, we had the Senate elections last year. So I think one thing that's really happened is kind of, I guess, devolution the aim of devolution was to bring local politics into like into reality so i think we're kind of seeing that after 20 years of devolution i think that's something that's been happening um but yeah i think these elections kind of again show like the demise of the tories but also just i think they see kind of politics trying to be more representative to people so again we've seen more gender balanced councils we've seen again more competitive seats happening as well so for example there were far less uncontested seats this election than there was last we're seeing more diversity in candidates this election so i think i think that i think Welsh politics is kind of catching up to the people and catching up to what the people need um and i think that's really exciting and reinvigorating so i think that's one thing i'm really happy about this election actually <laughs> I mean, Torin, what do you think of this um, 
this particular question. What do you think this set of results says about the state of politics in Wales? I mean, it's it's definitely fascinating. I mean, I've been looking a lot of the uh, the results for the Conservatives here because I think that in itself raises quite major questions for the party. I mean, there was a lot of attacks actually on Monmouthshire being sort of a two one nation, two centre ground council by the Tories themselves. And, you know, it's um, as um, Susie Davies kind of pointed out after that, um, actually, the fact is the Tories lost quite literally everywhere. So the idea that it was just this one council going rogue and being, you know, a sort of centrist council, I don't really... Um, by that one, in some ways, I think if you you have the answer, it's more that the National Party does something more similar to that with the Tories and 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 follows that one nation approach rather than the other way around. And that Monmouthshire were to follow the um, you know the National Party's image. I think that the losses probably would have been much worse had they followed what the National Party wanted them to do. You know, and and obviously it's something that we've seen elsewhere. You know, we've got local Conservatives in London as well, where they're running under this almost slightly different banner. So I think, you know, that in some ways is interesting. That split in the Tory party in Wales seems to be coming much, much more real. But I, I do think as well there's definitely that sort of halo effect after, after the um, Labour Party here, dealing with the pandemic, you know, I, I had a lot of people who, when they were actually coming up to Aberystwyth for sort of visiting days and stuff, and I'd chat to them and they'd all say the same thing, which was, oh, yeah, we wish we were here because you dealt with the pandemic so differently. Um, and so there's definitely, there's, there is this halo effect. And I think, you know, it's it has helped la- the Labour Party here quite a lot. You know, there's there certainly is a lot for sort of local candidates, but having as well a party that people aren't, too badly disposed to to actually run, um, you know, it's it's helped them a lot. Um, so yeah, I think other parties sure have made um, have made gains on the night, but that seems to be the big story here. Mm. And something that we've touched upon uh, quite a bit, and I think it's something that has been touched upon by the reflection of the of the results as well, is a disconnect between um, Conservative council candidates and the main Conservative Party, a willingness to distance themselves from the government, and in particular, um, the Prime Minister. I mean, we've not just seen it in the the local Conservative phrasing on the uh, ballot papers, description on the ballot papers, but we've also seen it in uh, electoral broadcasts. We've seen it in um, leaflets, an absence of um, the Prime Minister, who at one time was seen as, as such an asset to the Conservative Party. What do we think these set of results spell for Boris Johnson's future. Jazz, if you could start. They're just really bad for him, to be (laughs) frank. (laughs) I mean, I think that it raises broader questions about kind of our party system as it is. And I think one takeaway I've got from this set of local elections and the set of like having local conservative councillors or candidates standing for council is more that I don't... I think that... In our current party system, there's not a way to hold a party accountable. So if you're a member of a party and you join on a set of ideals and then the leadership of that party break the ideals, I don't think there's a way to hold them accountable without actually leaving the party. You know, as a member, you have very little way to change the structure of the party. Mm. So I think having like a set of local conservative councillors, I think it kind of shows this dissatisfaction at the government in a way that is like on scale. You know, it's not just one councillor saying, I'm unhappy and leaving. 
it's, you know, a whole group of them standing and going, right, we're unhappy, we're going to create our own brand. And I think that's really important in politics. Um, I've always, I think you've seen today that I have quite an optimistic outlook on the way that things are. Um, and I think that it's just really, really good to see candidates challenging their parties in the way that they have, right? And I think it's definitely something that we need to see more of, um, even on a local level. So, for example, like here we've had, in Aberystwyth, we've had candidates stand who have had, like, allegations of sexual assault and stuff against them. Mm. But then we see parties, because they're in parties, other party candidates actively supporting them while canvassing and things like that. Mm. So I think that having a local conservative way to hold the party accountable to the sleaze that has happened is a really, really good thing. And I think it's something that we need to be seeing more of in politics in general. So mm. I'm hoping that it might lead the way to like other party or candidates doing the same in the future mm. um, as well. So I think it's just a really interesting way that politics is changing. Mm. And it might bear some lessons for the future. I don't yeah. really know. Yeah, no, 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 I think you have a point there. Um, Ellie, what, what do you think these set of elections spell for Boris Johnson? How do you think that they will affect Boris Johnson? And, and what do you think of the, the disconnect that um, Jazz just mentioned there between local Conservative council candidates and the government, the Conservative government? I think that Boris was chosen as party leader for the Conservatives on the proviso that he wins elections. He is incredibly successful at winning them elections. We saw that in 2019. We saw it as him as London mayor. Like they elected him not because they knew he was this honourable or moral person. They knew he came with a lot of downsides. They knew that they were electing somebody who was a serial liar, who would do anything in order to win. Um, but he wins them elections. And that was the whole reason why he's had the support of so many people for so long. I think if it was any other Tory leader, by now they would be long gone. But Boris wins them elections. That's his special sort of, that's his special scope that he can bring to the Conservatives. And I think we're seeing for the first time that that just isn't the case, that Boris isn't this, you know, holier-than-thou winner of elections. He has massive flaws. And we've seen that the electorate recognise them and are not going to stand, are not going to stand for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think with Boris now showing... With, with his flaws now showing, um, I think that there'll be a very big backlash. I think especially from local conservatives, conservatives who want who lost their seats, lost their councils. Um, I think we're going to see a massive rejection of him. I think we almost saw it already, especially in Wales, where, um, as Jazz has pointed out, you know, there was this almost rejection of Westminster Conservative Party, that they were going to almost rebrand themselves as the Welsh Conservatives, a little bit like Labour did um, under Corbyn years in Wales, that we rebranded ourselves, or no, we kept the branding that we were Welsh Labour, we weren't associated to Corbyn's Labour. Um, and I think, yeah, we're seeing a rejection completely of Boris. And I think as time goes on and more people become really fed up of him within the party structure, um, he is going to either have to face his party or more likely he'll face the electorate because he's far more willing to see his party go down than have his career go down. Torin, what do you feel that this set of election results will do to Boris Johnson? How do you think it will have an impact on him? And what kind of impact do you think it will have? 
I mean, for a start, I don't really see him going anywhere. Um, I think it was absolutely disastrous. It might have an impact, but because it's sort of local councils, I definitely don't think it's sort of his route out the door. Um, it definitely raises questions about his leadership and, and going into sort of the next election as to how, how good he will be for the Conservatives at, at actually winning over voters. But also, I think with local elections, it's much easier to cast a ballot for another political party, knowing that the, the impact it'll have will probably be on local issues, not national ones. So if you want to register a protest vote, then often as well with the, the sort of English system of having, you know, so many different um, layers of council, it's actually, uh, I think, a lot easier to do so. Um, so the, I think there is that to, to put in mind that, you know, you sort of heard on election night, a lot of people who had voted for the Lib Dems um, really doing it as a way to sort of say to the Tories, look, I'm really not happy with Boris to the extent I may have been a Tory voter for how many other years, but I've decided to back them tonight. You need to get things um, into shape. Um, however, I feel the issue is that I don't think Boris is going to get things into shape. Um, and that, of course, leads to his own question about what happens with the Tory parties. Do we have a leadership election? Does Boris lead them into the next election? And it, it sort of either he clings on or goes disastrously well. You know, so all of that stuff is is difficult kind of pre to predict. Um, but I do think, you know, if I was the Conservatives watching, you know, local councillors go this far out of line, um, is going to be very difficult because it shows what the party is doing. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've had conversations, for instance, with Labour Party councillors who are completely and utterly, you know, pro-grammar schools and think they're the best thing ever. You know, and yeah, you do, you get that kind of thing where, like, you have certain councillors who will be very off the party line. Mm -hmm. But normally that is at a very localised level. It's normally to do with local issues and it's normally not that common. And I think there's a there's that big difference between that and this level of almost uniformed changing of branding, you know, adding on leaflets. Oh, you know, please don't actually blame us for everything that's been going on. You know, remember that we're your local councillors, kind of thing. And that is because it's such a different level. I mean, it's a it's all supposed to be a warning sign to the Tories, which is basically to change direction or the next election could go very badly wrong for them. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I think it's interesting. We've looked at the way that the Conservatives have done um, in, in Wales, but they also didn't do particularly well in Scotland either. And the Scottish local election results um, seem to show a trend of the Labour Party returning to second place, the SNP continuing to be uh, the major uh, party in Scotland, and the Scottish Conservatives slipping in to third. Now, of course, Scotland will be important for any general election. You, you mentioned a general election there, Torin, and of course, in a few years, we will be having another general election. And the state of play in, in Scotland may determine who ends up being prime minister and who ends up being uh, the majority party. So if I could turn to you, um, Ellie, to begin with, what do you think the Scottish election results say about the state of politics in Scotland at the moment? So I think what's, what the Scottish electorate did was, I mean, Douglas Ross posed them a question. They said, <clears throat> let's show the nationalists, you know, show the nationalists what you really want for Scotland. 
And a lot of conservative voters went, we don't want you. We don't want Boris. And it was it, it was a complete sort of just rejection of um, conservative politics uh, within Scotland. And um, I almost feel sorry for Douglas Ross, to be <laughs> honest, um, in that sort of like completely backfiring against him. Um, there's a long way to go. Um, you know, there are swathes of areas across the country um, where the organisational, reputational and political damage of sort of the last few years of especially Corbyn, um, they've not been fully repaired yet. And I think we're still sort of bearing the brunt of that in Scotland, especially um, where people's innate reaction to, uh, to, you know, Labour's failings or the Conservatives' failings is, um, is to vote SNP. And we need to show um, as Labour that the SNP are not the answer. The SNP, I believe, you know, they're not a progressive party. Um, we've seen drug deaths go through the roof in Scotland. Glasgow is still the capital of drug deaths in Europe. We've seen education plummet in terms of quality it's giving to children. Um, you know, the SNP are not a progressive party. They're not this liberal party that they claim to be. Labour is the answer for Scotland. And we just need to show them that that is the case. And it's we need to show them that through having through earning that trust through earning our place again in Scottish politics as as the main party um I think for too long the Conservatives were allowed to run away with that Douglas Ross did it as did Ruth uh, Ruth Joe Ruth Davidson rather um and and yeah we we need to take back control of the narrative in Scotland um and we need to show to people that the SNP are not the answer to Scottish problems and the, conser the Scottish Conservatives aren't either. Uh, Torin, what do you think of the results in Scotland? What do you think they say about the state of politics in Scotland? I mean, it was certainly interesting um, to watch the, the rebranding that Labour did actually beforehand, because obviously in, in Scotland they don't have... Um, uh, similar in Wales, where they have sort of the Welsh government, right? It's, it's actually fairly clear here that I think there's a, a distinct identity, whereas I think if you're not in power, it's much more difficult to draw that distinction. Um, so it was certainly a, a sort of local election where, you know, it was making up ground. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's also, again, for locally. So if you want to send a message to a party um, about unionism or whatever, then you can you can do that again through the local election, just like I think many voters did in England um, to say to the Tories, you know, we do not like what you're doing here. So in some ways, I think there's certainly an element again of that sort of being able to use your vote to, to register dissatisfaction, which is also why I found it interesting that the SNP um, you know, did actually gain on that night because I think there were lots of predictions going around or oh, maybe they'll lose seats. But in the end, they did. So it, it's kind of, you know, if I was sitting obviously in the Tory shoes for that night, I would not be very happy. Um, if I was sitting in Labour's shoes, I think I would be feeling that, you know, there is a huge amount of work to do. I mean, obviously on stuff like drug deaths, I think it's it's being able to push a 
serious alternative to what the Tories have, uh, to what the SNP, sorry, in uh, Scotland are pushing and, and the Tories nationally um, because of the stuff like, you know, trying to push for things like drug decriminalisation, which is a policy that interestingly is more complicated. I mean, we've seen even police and crime commissioners in, in England um, pushing down the roots of those kind of policies um, and trying to sort of mirror something similar. So I think... Labour Party there doing a lot of looking at, at policy will be very important sort of for the next um, both general and um, Scottish elections. Um, and yeah, I mean, if I was the SNP, I mean, it's going to be if you want to hold on to that number of seats um, and you want to hold on to the Scottish Parliament um, and, you know, maintaining what almost has become a dominance in Scotland, then it will be changing over time. You know, I think that any party that's that big, that is that broad of a tent, will end up needing to change in some way to reflect as the electorate changes. Um, and those issues, again, drug deaths being a big one, you need to actually find a plan, otherwise you will get stuck with the blame. There is no, in their case, there's really no real predecessor to blame it on. Um, so I think, you know, they've they've got to do a lot of work if they're going to do well um, next time, and more than I think they realise. Jazz, mm. uh, what are your thoughts on this? What do you think that the results in Scotland say about the state of, of politics in Scotland? There's a lot to think about, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I think, yeah, I think as Torna said about um, Scottish Labour rebranding and the impact that's on the elections, I think that's really... And exciting. I keep using that word. I'm just so excited about this set of results. Um, I think that's really exciting because I think that again it shows kind of like Scottish Labour being able to create this distinct identity. I think it shows the impact that kind of political branding especially has on elections. Um, and I think they're trying to mirror kind of again what's happened here with Welsh Labour and this distinct identity being created. Um, so that that's quite you know exciting. Like that's what I'm looking forward to kind of watching if that identity is able to last you know is this rebrand actually going to change the the image of Scottish Labour because it's quite early to tell um in terms of kind of the SNP I think again like lots of polls suggested they'd lose seats so the fact they've managed to gain and keep hold of a lot of councils is is very I think interesting to analyze because actually um you know I think this this softening up of the SNP and the image of the SNP is something that I'm really interested in I mean as Ellie has said, like, we, I think often being in the UK, I mean, like, when I used to live in England, they were often viewed as being kind of, again, like a very liberal soft party, but then you've also got lots of evidence to suggest that they're not that. So I think the question is then, are the SNP now, they've got a new voting base, able to keep this image of being a softer party? I think that's like a big question that's been created by this set of elections. I also think the results are really interesting being that STV is used in Scottish Council elections. So again, it's this kind of idea of like, is STV the right system? I mean, there's been lots of moves here. I mean, across the UK in terms of like, um, you know, the Liberal Democrats pushing to use STV for general elections or like other parties, I think. For example, like PR is a conversation that's being discussed heavily now in a lot of progressive parties. So it's that conversation of like, does STV impact the outcome of elections? You know, STV is supposed to push a more collaborative politics. So when you have a party who's able to dominate so heavily, even in an STV system, you know, what does that mean? Um, and the other question as well, I think, is to do with independence. Again, you've got an indie party now dominating so heavily in an STV system. You know, what does that tell us about that, that attitude for independence within Scotland? Is it something that's just a Boris rebellion or is it something that will outlast Boris? 
Boris. And I think that's a really interesting question as well. And I also think the SME successes is something that can be like mirrored here in Wales with Plaid. I think that, for example, it raises questions of kind of what, you know, Plaid always kind of credit the SNP as like, oh, yeah, we know we're learning from them, they're our sister mm. party, this and that. So I think it raises questions as well as to how kind of the SNP did so well. And Plaid did well here last night, but I think not as well as people were expecting. So again, it's that question of kind of where, where did it go wrong for Plaid and what lessons can they draw from the SNP as well? So I think that the Scottish election results are quite far away, as in they're, they're not necessarily tied to Westminster politics in the same way that, say, England's results would be. But I think that there's a lot of lessons, at least here in Wales, that can be drawn from Scotland. And I think that it's just an interesting set of cultural results. I think there's more questions asked than answered, mm. especially because the polls were so wrong. So I think that's, yeah, that's kind of my main takeaway. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the regions that, in fact, the only region that we haven't really looked at yet is Northern Ireland. And of course, there have been assembly elections there um, for the Northern Irish Parliament with Sinn Féin um, gaining the most seats. Now, this, of course, is a, a momentous moment for politics in Northern Ireland and could really define um, the nation for, for years to come. Torin, what, what are your thoughts on the result of the Assembly elections and Sinn Féin's um, astonishing gains in those elections? I think the story of the night has certainly been the one that um, the BBC and others have kind of been running, which has very much been of the, you know, the pariahs that turned into, you know, the victors. And and I think as well that the impacts are going to be quite large from Northern Ireland Assembly election because south of the border in the Republic of Ireland, um, you have a situation where Sinn Féin is also leading um, the polls there. So it's it's this situation where you may well um, end up with both sides um, of the border picking uh, Sinn Féin. And, and so in some ways that was sort of the dominating story, but of course you also had the, the battle for second place. Mm. Um, you know, the, the DUP's collapse, I mean, it effectively just tried to... Um, use more unionist areas to continue to um, effectively prop it up. Um, and it, it did work to some extent. I don't think the losses were quite as bad as were predicted beforehand. Um, you know, but I think undoubtedly the night's best performance ended up going to, you know, the Alliance Party, which gained a lot of seats, um, more than doubled in size. And, and I think that was very interesting simply because I think there will be a lot of people in Northern Ireland who are almost fed up of the, you know, unionism, nationalism debate that's going on there um, and would generally like to see some kind of change. You know, I think it's a very, it's a very interesting party, you know, things like co-education, which I think <coughs> if we are to do anything to sort out the situation in Northern Ireland, I think it has to start from education and build up. Um, so, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of interesting, good policies that they have. So, yeah, overall, it's fascinating. Obviously, Sinn Féin, biggest gains of the night um, in terms of actually ending up ahead. But um, I think Alliance is kind of the more untold story and perhaps the most interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Jazz, what are your thoughts about the Northern Irish Assembly elections? What do you think they will spell for the future of Northern Ireland and, and the future of the, the, the Union as well? I mean, I think that in terms of the Northern Irish elections, I think that it's quite, 
I want to get one exciting again, but I keep saying the word exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to think of a different word. Um, interesting. <laughs> it's not interesting. It's like, I think it's optimistic for Northern Ireland. I think it's, it's, I mean, I think that the shift in power, I mean, I know there's a whole, obviously, unionism debate and nationalism debate, but I think more broadly, we've seen it, we've now seen like a party government. I know that, again, it's a power-sharing agreement, but we're kind of seeing this shift, again, towards more progressive parties. We're seeing a shift towards Sinn Féin, we're seeing a shift towards Northern, uh, between, uh, sorry, towards Alliance. So I think that more broadly, aside from the unionist nationalist debate, I think that's the, like the resurgence of progressive politics. In an area of the UK that I really don't think has seen progressive politics like this on a wide scale for a long time. So I think that's something that really, really, like, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy about. But also I think that, I think it will obviously cause issues. I mean, this shift in power is so dramatic. And I think that communities will especially be challenged because they have, you know, it's kind of that, again, that identity crisis of, right, okay, well, you know, we used to have an unionist government now we have a nationalist government what does that mean kind of historical tensions might build up so I think that's quite alarming but I think this change was always going to happen you know population differences and kind of voting patterns suggested we were always gonna at some point within the next 20 years have this shift so it's not necessarily surprising in the case that it's happened I mean I think COVID exacerbated it as well especially DUP kind of incompetence around that um but I think that, yeah, it's kind of exciting that I guess parties are being held accountable for their mistakes. I think the DUP are a party that hasn't represented Irish, Irish, Northern Irish people for a long time. Um, and that's kind of the mood I'm getting from friends across the sea um, as well. So I think that I think that it kind of spells a brighter future for Northern Ireland. And I think it will change the way in which politics is done. Um, and yeah, I think whether it like heeds to, I guess, added tensions or not is yet to be seen mm. but I think if the shift of power can be done in a way that I guess helps helps the people better that represents them better then surely it's a good thing mm. Mm. absolutely um Ellie what are your thoughts on the Northern Irish elections what do you think it will change about politics in Northern Ireland what impact do you think it will will have on the union I mean, I think there's going to be a seismic shift. There already has been in terms of politics in Northern Ireland. Uh, we saw it with Alliance. You know, Alliance pretty much came out of nowhere. They've made minimal gains. They've made minimal sort of headlines up until this point. And I really do think that they're the victors of the night. You know, they've made incredibly strong gains across the board. They've done well in terms of, um, you know, actual seat share, seat share um, than any other party. Um, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting time for Northern Ireland. I think ultimately, Ultimately, uh, this was a re rejection of Brexit. This was a rejection of how the DUP do things. Um, the DUP are still paying the price for how they got into bed with the Tories in 2017. And this was a complete rejection of that. It was a rejection mm -hmm. of a liberal politics. It was a rejection of an incredibly sort of backwards looking um, party in Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland, I think the reality is it's a progressive nation. They want to move on. They the you know the troubles that um you know have have been an absolute well have been the headline and front and center in northern ireland i think a lot of people are either moving forward from that or a younger generation are coming out and saying no this is this isn't the way that we do things like we want to change the status quo um 
I think the question of United Ireland or unionism, I think that's changed. Um, and I think that might not be the focus mm. within five, 10 years. You know, we're seeing Sinn Féin as a younger, more progressive looking party uh, with a leader who is a woman. Like the, the um, Sinn Féin would never, ever have had that even 10 years ago. You think of Sinn Féin, you think of Jerry Adams, you think of Martin McGuinness. You know, these are white men, old white men. And now we've got a young woman, you know, leading the way on that. And it's just showing the shift in progressive politics in Northern Ireland. Um, yeah, I think ultimately this was a rejection of Brexit. This was, uh, you know, Northern Ireland saying, look, we didn't vote for Brexit. We didn't vote for uh, the DUP to get into bed with the Tories, yet they have. Um, and we're going to look differently. We're going to look to Alliance. We're going to look to Sinn Féin for the answers because the DUP clearly aren't providing that. Um, and I think that's the case uh, south of the border as well. I think that the two parties, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, um, who have long led the way and who have long sort of been dominant in um, the Republic's history uh, in terms of politics, a lot of people are rejecting that now and going, no, you know, you might well not be the answer. We're going to look to other parts, to other to other parties. Um and so, yeah, incredibly interesting. I think if I were the Conservatives in this and I was looking at Northern Ireland, I think if I was the DUP especially, I would um, be incredibly worried um, at what this says to the future of, uh, of the UK, this says to the future of the DUP itself. Um, it's a complete rejection of the DUP. It's a complete rejection of Conservative politics in Northern Ireland. Um, what this means, I don't know. Um, I think we really, really need to push in the UK that we need we need to push um, in the Labour Party, especially that, you know, we are a unionist party, that we believe in the union. We believe that Northern Ireland is better off and should be a part of Britain for as long as it wants to be. And we need to convince them that that is the case. We need to convince the people of Northern Ireland that being a part of Britain makes them stronger, will make them a more prosperous country. Um, and I think that that case that we always have to prove to, to Northern Irish people, especially Northern Ireland, Northern Irish people who believe in, say, Sinn Féin and who were more um, sort of like a United Ireland leaning, We've always had to prove and fight for their approval. And I think the TUP have been incredibly complacent for a long time in not fighting for that cause, not fighting for the cause of the union. And like I say, this is a complete rejection of that. It's a rejection of complacency. Um, Alliance, I think, are the victors of the night more than anyone else. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, like I say, it's going to be a very, very interesting few months. Ultimately, it's on the people of Northern Ireland to decide their future. Um, and I think they've said, we completely reject the politics of the DUP. Mm -hmm. um, one party that we've not really touched upon, um, but had made, had made significant gains um, in the local elections are the Liberal Democrats. Now, um, the Lib Dems have seen increases, perhaps ones that were somewhat um, unexpected for them and, and, and certainly um, not ones that were uh, quite predicted in the polls. And of course, uh, the Liberal Democrats will have to see whether this um, vote of support can be turned into further support at the next general election. Jazz, what are your thoughts on how the Liberal Democrats have done in this set of elections? I mean... 
I've got thoughts. But the first thing I want to say, it's a bit of a meme, is that they ended up with 69 councillors in Wales. <laughs> and I feel like that's just, you know, just something we have to appreciate. <laughs> this is a very serious political analysis, but that's my fun <laughs> fact. <laughs> Torrin currently has his hands <laughs> on his head because in disappointment at me for mentioning that. Um, but no, I think the Liberal Democrats, I think that they've done very well tonight. But I think, well, tonight, Thursday night now, it's called No Sleep Hits You. But I do think that um, a lot of their gains, for example, were made in seats that were Tory marginals. They weren't necessarily, like, Labour-leaning um, or kind of left-leaning. So I think that's the first takeaway, which is a lot of the Lib Dem success was in the blue wall seats. I mean, lots of the coverage we have now is kind of this, oh, yeah, you know, there's this potential yellow wall forming in kind of Surrey, southwest London, that way. Um, but actually, if you look at the demographics of those seats, a lot of those, um, you know, people who vote in those seats, who vote Lib Dems as an alternative to the Tories, um, who wouldn't necessarily vote Labour just because previously they've always voted Tory um, and they're more kind of like, I guess, centre-right seats. So that's the first takeaway, which I think the Lib Dem success is something that's kind of being, um, I'm going to say over-egged loosely because I think that it's something we won't see at a general election. I think it's something that is very much local. I mean, we've seen the Liberal Democrats one way they advertise themselves as being a local party, right? So it's a local grassroots party. Um, and I think that's something that's very really apparent throughout their literature. I mean, across the country, for example, like having worked in the Dem elections, you see candidates, for example, rejecting national party entirely. You see different localities running different leaflets. So, for example, in a lot of those seats that did really well in council elections, we had parties running on a don't build houses platform or a do build houses platform. We had different local parties running, you know, don't build HS2 versus do build HS2. So we had a party that did very well, but overwhelmingly they had very different messages. So I think that that's something that will come become clear at a more um, general election level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that these successes are, you know, they're, they're good news for Ed Davey. I think Ed Davey will be very happy with the results. But I don't necessarily think that they will um, stay. And I think that was something that will worry Party HQ because as they become a more competitive party, they'll get more press attention. Um, and these differences will be pointed out as well. And I also think as well, it's the question of accountability. So, for example, we've seen a lot of councils here go Liberal Democrat that haven't ever been Liberal Democrat before. We've seen a lot of councils in Liberal Democrat, previous Liberal Democrat councils not vote Liberal Democrat. So, for example, you look at seats, for example, in Wales, you looked at the Liberal Democrats, do okay, they kind of retained the amount of seats. But the only reason when you look into that analysis, they retained the amount of seats is because actually they contested a lot of uncontested seats. So they already started the night on a plus. Um, so actually, you know, overall, they're, you know, the, the amount of seats they're holding is about the same. They're about the same size as they were. Um, so I think it creates a disconnect for the party, again, in part of the country, is how they resonate with voters in Wales, how they resonate with voters kind of in the Midlands, especially, you know, this is centrist heartland. So why are they not winning those seats? Um, I also think lots of questions have been raised, especially here in kind of, I say Aberystwyth, but again, other areas in the Midlands of kind of... Um, you know, these are seats that were previously Liberal Democrats. So why, for example, are they not voting for the Liberal Democrats again? For example, just at a local level, you know, Cody Gion used to be a Liberal Democrat seat. We used to have, Aberystwyth used to be a Liberal Democrat run council. Um, but we've seen a complete rejection of the Liberal Democrats here. We've seen, you know, Plyde completely overrun the council. And the question is then, why, why has that happened? So that I think the party will be worried because they're not winning seats in their traditional voting bases. So... I think that, you know, I think Ed Davey will be very, very worried tonight. And I think it's quite interesting 
this this shift that the party is going on it's going again on a more shift towards the south of England mm. and a few seats again up in the north but like kind of there's this, there's this move away from traditional centrist so I guess the question is then does the party even have a future because you know they're losing their traditional voting base will they be able to keep this new voting base or will they just lose that too mm. yeah absolutely um Torin what are, what are your thoughts and uh, how the Liberal Democrats have done at this set of elections I mean, it, I, I certainly, in some ways, go back to what I said earlier about sort of those Tories who voted Lib Dem because they were dissatisfied with the party. Um, and, you know, I, I know from my uh, my time out leafleting when I was younger that there were a lot of people who would say, yes, I'll vote for you in the locals because I like your candidate, but I won't vote for you in the nationals. And I think that's, that also does have an effect. You know, a lot of the time the Lib Dems are winning places um, and win lots of council seats in areas that they will never be able to win, you know, at a national level. So, you know, there's there's certainly that sort of shift where the Lib Dems often are really offering, you know, local representatives at a local council level. In some ways, it can sometimes feel with issues like HS2 and housing, that it's a bit like a sort of group of um, more independent councillors under a banner rather than Lib Dem candidates who might be independent at some points. Um, you know, it's, I think that's the biggest sort of shift between them, which is that, you know, the Lib Dems therefore will, I think, have a bit of an issue turning these results into more meaningful ground on the national stage. And yeah, there is that sort of move away from more traditional Lib Dem areas. Um, and I think they really just have to be careful not to turn themselves into more of a protest vote. Um, because, you know, that at the end of the day, if you don't have a solid base to build off of every election, you effectively end up starting from scratch and, and going again, which I, I don't think is where they want to end up. Um, so they, they kind of end up needing to have a think about what they want their base to be, what their core messages are, you know, because otherwise they do risk being a party that doesn't really have as much idea as to where it wants to go. Um, it just simply will end up as a party there to win in local areas by saying specifically what that local area wants to hear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um Ellie, what are your thoughts on how the Liberal Democrats have done in this set of elections? I mean, the Liberal Democrats have, for the last seven years, and probably long before that as well, um, they've really, really struggled to find an image for themselves and stick with it. Um, you know, they were first <clears throat> coalition partners to the Tories, uh, and then they were against the Tories, and then they were massively against Brexit, and that was something that they ran with for years and years. That was again rejected. And I feel like the Liberal Democrats for a long time have been very lost in their ideology, in who they want to be and what they want to be as a party. Are they a protest vote? Are they an actual, are they the third party in the UK? Um, you know, do they stand against conservatives and Labour values? Um, what do they what do they stand for? Are they centrist? Are they left-leaning liberals? Are they right-leaning liberals? Um, and no one really knows, <laughs> including worst of all the Lib Dems. Um, I think what the Lib Dems have to take away from Thursday's result is that they have to understand that they are um, they are a protest vote 
party um, against the Tories. We've seen that in the Southwest. We've long known that. Um, they are also a part of a protest vote party in the north of Scotland against the SNP. Um, again, we've long known that. The, uh, the, the Liberal Democrats' heartland in Scotland has long been in more nationalist-leaning um, areas. And in the Southwest, uh, we've seen again, you know, the Liberal Democrats' heartland in the Southwest has long been in, in traditional Tory areas. Um, so I think what they need to do is that they need to really reassess themselves. These are the best election results for the Lib Dems since 2010 in terms of any elections they've uh, they've contested. Um, and this could be a real turning point in who and what they want to be as a party. Um, I think for too long, there have been a lot of issues within the Liberal Democrats' ideology um, where we've seen members, you know, as orange bookers, we've mm -hmm. seen more left-leaning Liberals who don't feel connected to Labour because of Corbyn, you know, any sort of reason um, under the sun. And the Liberal Democrats, like I say, I think now they have to sort of accept that they are a protest vote party. That's not necessarily a bad thing against the Conservatives. Mm. Um, I think that where people protest voted against the Conservatives and vote, voted for Plaid or the SNP, I think where the Liberal Democrats could potentially make huge gains now is to go, no, Plaid are not the answer. Nationalist politics are not the answer. We are the answer. Um, you know, we saw in 97 where a lot of people who couldn't bring themselves to vote Tory and who weren't nationalists themselves, they went to, um, they went to Liberal Democrats and these are traditional Tory voters. Um, and yeah, the opportunity is there for the Liberals to take against the Tories now. And they have to be an opposition party against the Tories mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where their future lies if they choose not to do that and if they choose to be an opposition party against Labour and the Liberal uh, and um, the Tories then I think that we're going to see a very stagnated Liberal Democrat party as they have been for the last six seven eight years mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting time um, and a time of change for the Liberal Democrats. But I think now they really need to reassess who they are, what they stand for um, and who their main opposition is. And like I say, that has to be the Tories. Mm. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been great to have you all on. And I have one final question. Now, at general elections, there are always candidates who stand in particular seats, who stand under unusual names, uh, shall we say, uh, Mr. Fishfinger, Lord Buckethead, etc. And those candidates also stand at local elections. So my final question to you all is this. If you had to stand uh, as a councillor, as a council candidate in a set of local elections, as any cartoon character that you want to pick, you had to dress up as them and your name had to be uh, the cartoon character's name on the ballot, which character would you pick? Who would like to go first? I mean, ultimately, I think I'm going to have to stick with my roots in terms of my favourite TV show as a programme and I would have to go as Poe from the Teletubbies. <laughs> I think that's I think that's an excellent answer. 
Jazz, what about you? So, I was going to say Italian Chubbies too, and I don't know what parts <laughs> of that are. Um, yeah, but I'd love to get like a council together and get everyone to stand and Italian Chubbies. I think that would be brilliant. Um, I think maybe like the Minions as well. They're not quite a cartoon, but I think having a council slate full of Minions would be absolutely fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, something along those lines, really. <laughs> I was thinking either Wallace or Gwinnett. Oh. So I was thinking either either Wallace. I think that'd be great fun, to be fair. Um, You could do the wrong trousers all over again. Um, No, I think that'd be great. (laughs) Well, I think three um, fantastic answers there. Thank you all once again for coming uh, on the podcast. If people want to find out more about you, where should they go to find out more about you? Ellie, where should people go if they want to find out more about you? Um, as the only person in the world with the name Aline Ed Anderson, um, just have a look at my Twitter. Um, feel free to give me a message either on there or Instagram, and um, I'll be sure to get back with you. Also, I'm just going to stop you, Will. What is your character? We need to know oh. your answer too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay. Oh, um, I hate it when people turn the question on me. Uh... <laughs> You've been rumbled. <laughs> I have been rumbled. <laughs> I think... I think it was to you every time now. Every yeah, yeah, you'll time. have to. You'll have to. Uh, I think I would go as Dennis the Menace because he was a childhood favourite of mine, um, reading the Beano and watching the, the, the cartoon um, series. And I, I quite like the, the jumper, the, the, red, <laughs> the red and black jumper. I think, I think that'd suit me, yeah. I'd go as, uh, as Dennis the Menace. Um, <laughs> thank you for, for making me consider that uh, question because I never really consider answers to these questions. I just come up with them and see what people will um, come up with. Um, Tori, what about you? Where can people uh, find you if they want to find out more about you? Um, again, I have a fairly unusual name. So it's literally at Torin Wilkins on, on, I think, everything now, actually. Um, and, yeah, you can find Centre Think Tank at, at Centre Think Tank. So, yeah. Yeah. And Jazz? Um, I am joining the Unusual Name Club. Um, it's at Jazz Meets Samurai on anything. Follow me, please. I'm almost at a thousand followers, guys. Thanks. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you all once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam, and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, I hope you listen to the next one. (laughs) 